Hi, everyone, and welcome to season four of the podcast. I'm super excited to be back and to announce that the podcast will now be called the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast to better reflect the subject matter. The first few episodes were recorded before the rebranding, so I still refer to it by its old raw fork name in those. Anyway, I had no idea when I started this podcast that it would evolve to this format, but I did know that I wanted to share people's stories. It has evolved from me reading my blog post out loud to interviewing non-traditional pharmacists, including herbalists. Season 4 will air every Friday, highlighting inspirational pharmacists that chose to fit out of the proverbial box and are working to build a new system of care focusing on natural and preventative medicine. Please enjoy the show. Hey there, Holistic Pharmacy listeners. Today, I have a slight deviation from my usual podcast where I interview a pharmacist or other healthcare professional. Today, I'm bringing you the other side of the story, discussing medical research about an invisible and silent environmental pollutant that plagues health unbeknownst to many of us. We touch on everything from cell phones to Wi-Fi to microwaves in this episode. Today, we dive deep into industrial electromagnetic toxicity with author and industry leader of EMF radiation, Daniel DeBon. Daniel is an internationally recognized expert in EMF radiation, EMF shielding, and EMF-related health issues with special focus on the effect of exposure from mobile devices such as laptops, tablets, and cell phones. Daniel's concern regarding the health impact of EMF emissions grew from over 30 years of engineering experience in the telecommunications industry, where he held a variety of executive positions at SAIC, Telcordia, AT&T, and Bell Labs. He's the co-author of Radiation Nation, The Fallout of Modern Technology. For more information, please visit the Defender Shield website and read the show notes where I talk a little bit more about EMF radiation. And without further ado, let's welcome Daniel to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have with me today a very special guest. He is not a pharmacist, but he is very, very informed. And he's actually an author and an industry leader and expert in EMF. So I'm super excited to have him on and hear what he has to say today. Marina, thanks so much for inviting me. I'm sort of excited to talk to your audience because this is a subject we all should know about, including the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We hear more and more about the dangers or possible dangers or all these different theories about it. So I would love for you to just come on and share your expertise and experience and set the record straight. Yeah, Marina, it is very controversial, but ironically, there's so much substantive scientific evidence um, that, you know, it's to those who are familiar with the subject are, are, are not as um, in the dark as others who claim to be. So I, I, we will talk about all these kinds of things. And uh, to start off with, um, my background for 30 some odd years, I worked for the telecommunications industry. I was um, part of the development of standards and technologies that are deployed in the networks, uh, including 
the technologies we talk about today. So I, I've had many, many years of experience. About um, 10, 15 years ago, my sons were visiting and uh, they had their laptops and their laps. And my wife says, that can't be good for you. Um, and I thought about it a tiny bit and I said, no, the power levels are too low. There's, there's just no dangers to the body. It's, it's, you know, it's too low. It can't be true. Um, but then my engineering came out a bit and I said, well, let me go take a look at the research side of, of this, uh, of electromagnetic radiation. And I was sort of surprised at that time, we actually knew quite a lot. We knew that after three or four hours, there's something as, as much as 25% of mobility of the male sperm. Um, after three or four hours, a, a female uh, may have a tumor, non-cancerous by and large, but they, they can generate tumors. So I was like quite surprised. I was in the industry for all these years, yet for some reason, I didn't know that there were, were biological impacts to the technologies around us. So that's what started me in the subject matter. And all of a sudden I became more and more a expert in it because I have to have many, many years of experience in it. But what was really sort of interesting that sort of your audience may well listen to, I had to go to the medical side a bit because even that seemed to not be migrating back to the, the medical community that's serving the patients. So um, I have actually been a bridge to some extent for some of that kind of stuff over the last several years. So thank you again for inviting me. I'm excited to chat. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for that brief intro into your world. I generally always start off with just asking a tiny bit about your background and how you came to be such an expert. So I'd love to know where you grew up, um, you know, how you got into this field in the first place and how this bridge started forming in your mind, you know, like, was it that incidence when you started to think about the dangers to your sons or what was that spark that got you into researching more and more on the biomolecular level? Um, I grew up in New York. Okay. Uh, maybe you can tell. <laughs> and, and, and I went to Bell Labs in New Jersey and I had all these years of experience in the telecommunications business, but on the development side. So I had a lot of experience. And I, the story I told about my, my sons using it, um, it sort of bothered me that I didn't know at that point that there could be potential dangers. And, and I, I, was, I did electrical engineering my whole career, but I happened to be a mechanical engineer as well. So I actually said, well, we're not victims. Let me make you something. So I actually designed uh, a shielding uh, for, their, for their laps uh, when they have their uh, laptops in their laps. And, um, and slowly but surely, I began learning more and more about it. It started introducing products into the industry. And I, and I began getting a whole lot of questions from a whole lot of people that said they were sensitive to these electromagnetic radiation signals. And, and that's actually what started me going really diving even further and being more an educator and thus the purpose of the book was to try to help people understand what do we know and what do we don't know and what can we do about it? And that's sort of how we got involved. And, and I never started off trying to be an expert. I, I started off trying to find a defense for my son's 
my wife wanted grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I still don't have grandchildren. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, it's a matter of time. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, tell us a little bit more about, let's start with the definition, right? Of yep. EMF. What does that stand for? What is it? How does it come into the telecommunication field? And then what does that have to do with health? So uh, electromagnetic radiation is, you use it every day, it's in your environment. Uh, when you use a cell phone, um, there's a transmitter in a cell phone that connects to a, a, a cell tower four or five miles away. Well, how does it physically get there? It's electromagnetic radiation signal. It's a RF radio frequency signal that's transmitted by your cell phone and it goes to the cell tower and thus you have the communications. Well, there's a phys physical energy that exists to be able to go from your cell phone to the cell tower. And while it's going to the cell tower, it's also going towards your body. Um, and it turns out that um, our laptops, our tablets, our cell phones, all of these devices use some form of radio frequency communications to connect to a Wi-Fi, a, a Bluetooth signal. There's a lot of different kinds of technologies we're using around us today. And every one of these devices are generating transmitters signals that can potentially interfere with the body. Now, for, 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 for standards purposes, the industry, the Federal Communications Commission actually is responsible for establishing how strong that signal should be. And over 30 years ago, when the cell phones just began to come out, they created this standard. And what they did was they take a six foot male um, and they modeled that six foot male. And they said, we wanna make sure the signal doesn't go into the head of a cell phone uh, user by more than one to two inches. And uh, we wanna make sure that it doesn't heat up the thermal impact of electromagnetic radiation, RF, is a thermal impact uh, to, the, uh, uh, to, to the cells. And so um, they don't allow the head of a six, six foot male to go more than two degrees. Okay, so that was 30 years ago. Um, six foot male represents about two to 3% of the population using cell phones. Females using cell phones, um, the membrane, their skulls, the interference that occurs from a signal into the head is, is less than a six foot male. Um, a, a child, um, a, a six-year-old child, where a male, it goes in one to two inches, it goes completely through their head. And what we're talking about before was, what is the thermal impact, the two degrees? Well, think about this. The standard never thought about the biological. And one of the things that's happened over the last 30 years is, we do know heavy users of cell phones, heavy users several hours a day, uh, they're three times more likely after 10 years to have frontal lobe cancer. Um, and, and so there's a fairly significant impact simply by the biological impact of the cell, which, which could be serious. 
But but more interesting than that, I, I actually don't worry so much about how the cell phone or the laptop or the tablet's going to be interfering with the body from a critical cancerous point of view. It's how does this disrupt the cells and the way they communicate? That's actually even more interesting. Um, people walk into your 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 clinic and they say, I, I have a headache. Well, is the headache What's the form? What's the source of the headache? I actually had a clinic where it, they were explaining to me what was going on, and this person had a, um, a, a, a dry eye, and they were saying how like this has got to be um, from something, and we can treat it by giving them a couple of drops a day. And I said, "Do you know blue light, which is a, a visible electromagnetic radiation, can actually create dry eye?" And is she or he looking at the screen all day? And is that LED coming out of the screen so intense with blue energy that it's actually interfering with the, the, the eye itself? And sure enough, they, they used uh, blue, blue light glasses, which I developed for them. And um, it turned out within two hours, her, her dry eyes were wet. And, wow. and so it's interfering. You have people coming into your clinic and, and they're showing symptoms like headache. I'm not sleeping right. Uh, you know, I have it ringing in my ears. I have tendonitis. Um, um, I, I have fatigue. Sometimes I have foggy thinking. All of these are symptoms of those exposures that we have in our daily use of technology around us every day. Wow. So you mentioned a few things there. Uh, so which devices should we be the most concerned about? So you mentioned cell phone, laptop, tablet, uh, any other devices? And what do you think is the leading cause that we should be worried about? Well, it, it turns out that um, it, it's all of the above. It, it's the accumulation of all these technologies around us. I, I, you can't single out one versus the other. Although when you use a laptop, uh, or, or tablet, and, and it's a couple of feet away from you, it's much better than using a cell phone to directly to your head. In, in fact, um, sort of a general rule of thumb is um, when you have these kinds of technologies around you, when they're touching your body, they, they, they represent the most potential dangerous condition. One foot away, one to two feet away, uh, 70, 80% of that potential danger is gone by four foot, almost 98. So, so when you use it, all this technology around you, um, what makes it less dangerous is where it is and how long you use it. Uh, not necessarily is one device more dangerous than another. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So that leads me to wonder what are the ways we can mitigate our risks so you mentioned placing the devices further away yes let's say you know a cell phone you can use the earpiece right uh instead of talking directly with yes. the cell phone next to your head what other ways and then can you also touch on blue light and wi-fi and i mean bluetooth um and wi-fi yes um with Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, a, a, a cell phone power level is 1.6 watts. That's how much power it has. Um, 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 when you have Wi-Fi, um, it can be up to six watts. Uh, 
Um, when you have uh, 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 other device transmissions, such as uh, blue, blue uh, what is it called? Um, having a brain fog. Um, uh, Bluetooth. When you have a Bluetooth, um, that is one fifth the power level of a cell phone. But when you talk about potential dangers to the cell, um, you can have dot one watts mutate a cell in the frontal lobe. Some researchers showed that very, sometimes very, very, very little energy levels um, can be dangerous to the cell to the extent where it mutates the cell or damages the cell. So to answer your question, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, when it's sitting on your head, a cell phone, that's when it's mostly. If you use it for a few minutes and put it down, you don't have to worry about anything because there's just not enough intensity for a period of time to make it a, a danger. But if you're using several hours at a day, you really want to think of options like, like putting a cell phone into your hand and using speakerphone. That's very safe for you because there's a distance from, and we talked about that a minute ago, the distance helps you uh, reduce the potential dangers of it. But if you want to talk in privacy, using wire earbuds to your phone, uh, ears is a, a very good way of communicating and keeping the reduction. And in my case, I'm using acoustical connections. I eliminated the electrical signal to the earbuds. So I don't even have any. So the best way to minimize the potential danger is by using acoustical links with earbuds. And uh, you, using those kinds of practices actually can help you uh, minimize your exposures and dangers in time. So what do you mean when you say acoustic earbuds? You mean the ones that have the wire that go in rather than the wireless? So you don't want to use wireless because they're using Bluetooth, right? Yes. And Bluetooth is dot three watts. And we were talking about that a moment too before. Dot one watts mutates the frontal lobe cell, as I mentioned, right? So, so you're right. If you use earbuds that communicate back and forth through, through your ears into your head, dot three watts can be very dangerous in time. So you really don't want to use that, in my opinion. Um, but what I was talking about before was acoustical. You can actually find devices where it's electrical halfway up, and then you convert to a speaker inside, a tiny little speaker, and it goes into a tube. And the tube goes into your head. And at that point, it's just audio. Wow. Audio and, and eliminates all the electrical component of that, that listening and makes it acoustical and quite safe. So that's my suggestion for the best way of doing it. Interesting. Can you recommend a company that produces those? Uh, there, are, there are several companies that do that. Um, um, there, there are many that, that do it. Okay, so maybe uh, I can include some of those in the show notes uh, and I, I can ask you for those later. Okay. Okay, okay. awesome. 
Uh, so what other ways can we use? I mean, I, I know you mentioned putting the cell phone on your hand, right? Uh, and then using the earbuds, but should we ideally be touching any body part with any EMF no. device? No, not really. If you can avoid it, you really want to stay away from it. Um, so um, if you have a cell phone and, you, and you're a 12-year-old child, female child, and you put a cell phone in your back pocket, you can actually influence the egg and you can actually mutate that egg with this short distance between the transmitted RF signal to the, to the egg of the, of the child. Um, I had uh, in Radiation Nation, the book that my son and I wrote, I had written that about the strength of that signal and having something close to you like that, even when you're not using it, can be potentially dangerous to you. And um, I had a, he was a business associate, one of the finest radiologists in the country, um, brilliant man. And he said, nah, you have, that can't be true. And then one day he called me up and he said, Dan, uh, I had someone in my clinic, um, a young woman, and she had, a child born still, and the child had very, very rare mutated cells. And he said, I could not figure out where they came from, but he said, now I thought about what you said in your book about the close proximity could influence it. And we don't know the results of exactly what will happen, but there's certainly a potential. And so, um, long story short for her, she actually had another child and it was fine. So it's really, when you have, when you have these, when you put it in your bra, um, research shows where you put your cell phone in your bra, you can have cancer. And there has been cases of cancers. So it's not like it's like a debate. These are kinds of things we actually really do know. Um, some of the interesting things too that may interest your audience is that when you use a cell phone, believe it or not, your membrane, the uh, blood-brain barrier of the, of, of the head is actually suppressed by the signal going into the brain. So the potential for more dangerous changes in those cells is greater because of that. And at the same time, it's, it's uh, suppressing immune. Uh, Dr. Ali Johansson out of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Sweden actually is a wonderful expert in the space. And for years and years and years, he talks about the mechanical breakdown of the, um, of, of the immune system, which of course is not a good thing when you have other conditions in the environment that are also influencing your immune system. So um, and in fact, um, in some clinics, I know one clinic particularly, they've actually been able to identify a link between uh, certain bacterial levels increasing as a result of the immune system being suppressed. Uh, DevC is one of those bacterium that, that has actually shown to increase in hypersensitive. So it's like you don't want this stuff near you if you don't need to. Putting away just a little bit three or four foot away really does make it much more safe for you. Okay. So 
let's say you mentioned somebody keeps a cell phone on their body in their pocket somewhere and they're not aware of it and they're not using it. So you mentioned it's still dangerous if the cell phone is off. So why does that happen and how can we mitigate that? Don't put it in your pocket. <laughs> Honestly, it's really, a, it's not a complicated question. What, what, when you, you get very used to, think of it this way, um, uh, Marina. Um, if you have all these devices around you, you have your laptop, you have your tablet, you have your cell phone, your husband may have a laptop, a, a, a cell phone, your child may have, or your friends may have it. They come into this room, all of these devices are on and they're transmitting. So there's dozens and dozens and dozens of sources of transmissions. So when you have that kind of condition, obviously you want to be aware of them simply by knowing what is on and what is off. Think about it this way. Um, a transmitter is a, a bee in a room. One bee um, will sting you and you won't die. But if you have a thousand bees, it may, it may take serious offense to your body. So the idea is turn the, uh, the bees off, turn the transmitters off. So if you don't need the device, just turn it off. If you're going to use the device, make sure it's far away from you. But always make sure that you're managing your environment because it's accumulative in your environment. And these devices are filling rooms and your body's reacting and you don't even realize it. Um, but your body is reacting. Um, and, in fact, uh, let's chat a little bit about that. Uh, another, you may have heard of oxidative stress, right? The oxidative stress is a, like a big word, buzzword for the medical community. I hate oxidative stress. It doesn't describe anything to me other than the fact there's an imbalance in radicals and antioxidants. That's all it means to me, right? It doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but um, but, but the, the fact is the body is, there's some work being done by um, um, a, a fellow out of uh, University of San Diego. Um, uh, and he's referred to the body response of external influences such as toxins, such as radio RF as being a toxin. And the body is, is, goes into what is referred to as CDR, cell danger response. It really literally changes how it's communicating. And as a result of that, there's different ways that the body reacts to that. So even though you may not feel it, your body may be actually reacting to it. And that could be symptomatic of some of the uh, uh, headaches you're getting, some, some of the ringing in your ears you're getting. Um, before I forget it, let's, let's chat about blue light. You had asked about blue light a little bit ago. Um, blue light, um, we, we know through research that you can have the dry eye. We, we talked about that. There's also premature macular degeneration that's also, also been studied and linked to uh, blue light. Blue light is the energy coming out of your monitors, your screens. It's the intensity of the LED that's actually generating 
pretty light that's around you all, all the, including blue, but it's more intense. So that concentrated LED light is actually screwing around with your, your eye itself. Um, uh, when, when you uh, go outside and it's sunlight and there's a blue component to it, you, you're, you're awake. If you go outside and there's um, um, no light at all, including blue light, you go to sleep. That's what we, this is a Cadian rhythm to what we do, right? So um, knowing that that component of the spectrum, which is the strongest visible light that there is, the blue light, actually, believe it or not, is tricking your eyeball into thinking it's daylight when, when you're sitting around reading your laptop in your bed at night. So what's, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, let's talk about it. It turns out that when your, your body thinks it's still light out or your eye, there's a cryptochrome protein that's in the back of your eyelid, uh, back of your eyeball, and it turns it on and off. That's the melatonin it's turning on and off. So when you are looking at these devices at night, and all of a sudden you want to go to bed and you can't go to sleep, that's because the natural evolution of the, crypt, uh, of the um, melatonin has not been developed within the body to the point where you naturally fall asleep. So if you read at night, uh, uh, watch uh, you uh, from a tablet particularly, uh, within an hour to two hours before you go to sleep, don't use it. So your natural circadian rhythm can kick in and not be disrupted by the cryptocorn switch not being on or off at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. That was a good way of describing it. We also call it sleep hygiene. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Changing yeah. the behaviors around the setting up of getting ready to go to bed. Right. Yeah, exactly. In the bed and you know, simulating the best case scenarios naturally. Uh, yes. I mean I know a lot of people actually supplement with melatonin and even in the natural health world, it's become a very trendy supplement to help people go to sleep. But in my opinion, it's mostly masking what is happening. But the problem is exactly. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. Uh, uh, Marina, there's no question about it. You should not be using melatonin and it's, it, it may be habits that you've created that have created the symptoms and now there's a dependency and natural, natural melatonin is not being created. And that's even worse. Um, yeah. You're so, the natural negative feedback cycle. Right, so when exactly. When your body what it lacks, it just says, okay, then I don't need to make my own. Yeah, and, and it's funny about that. And I, I've correlated to that is the fact that you have the mitochondrial repair that happens in the middle of the night, right? And so when you're disrupting your melatonin, you're also disrupting recovery of the cells that are most important little engines in your body, right? The, the mitochondrial um, uh, function is, is diminished because you haven't gone through the cycle. And by the way, um, the story about CDR, um, they actually, their research shows that there's a, this, they call it meatball, uh, mel uh, mitochondrial. They disrupt, they cluster typically, they, they disrupt and separate. Um, when when they're in a CDR. And so the recovery of those over a sleep cycle at night 
is disrupted as well. So we're talking about the environmental bees in the room. That's sort of pretty important for those reasons. Um, you want to not only make sure that you don't have an open gas can in the middle of your room and uh, generating uh, 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 toxins within that room uh, and, uh, and the RF signals are also a toxin. So you want to make sure all your toxins are cleaned up as clearly as you want. And in fact, um, when you go to bed, you know, we're talking about sleep sanctuary. When, 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 when we talk about going going to room, you do not want your cell phones in your room. You do not want your Wi-Fi in the room. You don't want any of these technologies in your room. I was talking with um, a, a, um, a podcaster once, really, really wonderful lady. And I told her, get that stuff out of your room because it's not only the blue light that's bothering you, uh, the visible RF, uh, ELF, it's also the they interrupt the side of the brain, the pineal gland, and all the kinds of things that are in the process of uh, getting your sleep cycle correct. And so that's being disrupted with when you have these devices in around the room. And so you really want to make sure you clean your sanctuary up as much as possible. Well, she was very nice to me and said, oh, thank you so much. Um, she didn't believe a word I said. <laughs> and she, she called me back in two weeks and she said, my husband and I took our cell phones out of the room and we're sleeping the night now. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't realize that it doesn't take much energy to disrupt electrically charged bodies. And, and, and so um, it is important to make sure, particularly at night in your, in your bed sanctuary that you clean it up as much as possible. So that's a really good point. And I actually haven't thought about the mitochondria impact and how if you don't have your natural melatonin cycle completed, that repair and recovery that usually happens at night doesn't happen. So that was that was really eye opening. It's a big it's a big deal. Yeah. Not only that, but you know, we talked about bees in the room. There's a correlation to those bees in the room in that it's disrupting your mitochondrial cell. And if you're not sleeping at night, it's not being repaired the way it should be repaired. Yeah. And so you're waking up groggy and you're not feeling um, energized. And it, it could be the electronics around you. And if there's only a few, you're, you're probably okay. But if the, you're bringing more and more into your environment, it does influence those, the body function, the biological body functions. Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many patients with fibromyalgia or yep. chronic fatigue, and it just makes me so like kind of aware of how many of these hidden causes are out there of these seemingly diseases with no pathology behind them, no real information that we have on why they form. So this is really, you know, probably the leading cause that I can think about for these type of things. Yeah, actually, there's um, there's prime, primal body function. Uh, I didn't talk about what CDR is. If you and I are in the woods and a bear comes running up to us and we see this bear, we can run mm -hmm. or we can hide, right? right? It's a natural response. Well, CDR, a cell danger response, is a natural response. It's almost primeval. It's, it's actually controlled by the the uh, the brainstem, not even the brain itself. Mm -hmm. So it's very primeval in the body. 
-hmm. and it's going to very, very basic functions of the body and manipulating those functions under those circumstances. So you're right. The source of a lot of things that don't seem to make sense could be the environment that they're living in and simply trying to understand that, including eating habits, of course, as you know, um, it's very, very important to maintain uh, balanced diets, um, uh, good diets, but, uh, but particularly in the electromagnetic radiation space, you really do want to concentrate on that because it does influence. And then one thing begets another, and then it's really almost impossible to figure out what's going on with the body. I've seen 20% of our population is electric hypersensitive. What, what is that? They, 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 they always feel fatigued. They always have headaches. They could be debilitated in many different ways. 20%. Wow. It's from the electromagnetic radiation around us. Um, and, and so of that, um, 80% of women. And nobody knows why it's women more than men. How severe can electric hypersensitivity be? It can get pretty serious. I saw a fella go into a clinic. He was exposed over years to very high intensity signals. And he couldn't even walk anymore. That's how debilitating he was. And uh, it was because of the environmental space he was in had high levels of electromagnetic radiation in the environment. And so um, it took that clinic quite a long time to help that person recover. And part of the, the secret was making sure he ate right, making sure he, he was sleeping right, making sure he did all the kinds of basic stuff that are important for health. Um, um, so uh, it can get fairly serious. And we don't know why women, but if you're getting headaches and you want to figure out where it may be coming from, look where you have your Wi-Fi. Is it too close to your body? Is it close, too close to your family? Is there a way of moving it out farther out so it's less intrusive into your, your, your living environment? Those are the kinds of things you got to think about. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I believe... Uh, autoimmune conditions are also more prevalent yep. in women. So it's, yep. it's definitely tied to uh, some kind of mechanism to protect us biologically, or maybe to make us uh, better um, carriers of our descendants in some way must be some oh, yeah. protective function. Yeah. The, the, you know, we, I, we're talking about occupational stuff. You are two to three times more likely to get Alzheimer's if you live in a high uh, electromagnetic radiation environment, if you work in one, two to three times. Wow. So we know that the human body is being influenced. I don't think there's a lot of controversy about it, as, as you know. But you know what? If you really investigate that, I, I look at this research work all the time. It's really good stuff. People really know how to set up study work, how to run studies there. The, how to have peer reviews, all those kinds of things. There's so much study work that demonstrates that there's clear links. At, at the very least, you should be precautious about what you do. Take precautionary measures about what you do because that uh, environment, the ambient environment that's changing is not getting less, it's getting more. 
because we're bringing more and more technologies in our environment. So you really got to be aware of it. Yeah. And that old question about nature versus nurture, right. uh, it's over and over been shown again and again that epigenetics is really way more important. And like yes. you said before, your environment is a big piece yeah. of whether or not you're going to be healthy. So right. just the amount of things that our body has to deal with on a daily basis, as yeah. it's just going to keep growing and growing as there's just more toxins from all different industries and spheres but one of them that i believe not many people are considering is electromagnetic right. in, in source so having said that how do we go about protecting ourselves at an individual level but also how much of it can we mitigate by ourselves and how much of it should be more uh like a collective conscious effort for example it, regarding Wi-Fi, you can maybe figure out where it can go in your own home. But living in a huge city like I do, densely populated apartments everywhere on top of everywhere, and somebody's Wi-Fi is reaching your space and your sanctuary. So how do you really mitigate that? And we also mentioned certain body parts and organs are more likely to be susceptible to mutations and EMF damage. So I know you mentioned the brain, uh, the reproductive organs, right. the breast. Is there anything in particular that we should be aware of in terms of where it can affect us, what to look out for, and then how to mitigate it? Um, the um, A lot of questions there. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, it's soft tissue, right? It's the heart. Uh, National Toxicity Program was a study that was done by the federal government, took over 10 years epidemiology study. They had significant populations of study subjects. In other words, it was statistically significant what they found. And what they found was frontal lobe and heart were where there was elevated cancer uh, uh, relative to uh, uh, normal populations. So watch your soft tissue. Uh, and so uh, there are very many things you can do. Um, and, and you're right, the source uh, can linger your whole life. Um, and I, I'd like to um, give an example where there was a research done in San Francisco about eight years ago and there was a clinic that gave a bunch of women in their first trimester these meters, RF meters, and they went around monitoring their environment while they went through their first trimester. Um, and they were looking for heavy exposures versus light exposures. And what they found in the study was that if you were heavy exposed, that is your environment that you were in was heavily um, penetrated signals around you. Uh, you were three times more likely to have miscarriage. So it is serious and it can start very early in a, in a human's life. The Alzheimer's, um, ADHD. Um, um, autism. Autism. The, that's in vitro. There's actually studies that show it's in vitro. In other words, when you have a cell phone in your pocket and you are pregnant, 
you could actually be influencing the child as it was developing. And it could, could be um, uh, as serious as ADHD and other illnesses. So given I said all that, know your environment, right? It's as simple as that. If you really know your environment and you pay attention to where all the bees are, you really can get pretty safe. As you pointed out before, like if you have a router, it doesn't have to be in the middle of your living room. And it certainly shouldn't be in your bedroom. It can be in the garage. And it still provides Wi-Fi access. But the power levels of those signals are much less because the distance is farther away. So simply by putting distance between you and the source, it really does help. If you have one of these smart meters, supposedly, quote unquote, smart, I don't know how smart it is, um, and it's on your bedroom wall, on the outside wall, move your bed. It is that serious. You have a transmitted signal of one watt that's being transmitted continuously, potentially, every 15 seconds. And so when you have that kind of transmitter and you're in that bedroom and your head post is right out, right next to the transmitter, that's not a good thing. But a simple thing is move it to the other side of the room, uh, the bed itself. And that distance substantially drops the exposure to you. And you, you're much more safe. S same building, but you're safer because you're physically in a different spot than you were before you moved the bed. So knowing your environment, uh, your cell phone, when you, when you have a cell phone on, there's, there's a cell phone connection, there's a Bluetooth connection, and there's a Wi-Fi connection. I, I don't use Bluetooth or Wi-Fi when I call someone. I don't need it. I turn those transmitters off. So I had three Bs in one product I made to one B. And so I reduced the exposure in that ambient in my environment by simply turning the stuff off I don't want and just turning it off I don't need the laptop on. Only when I use it, do I need it on. So okay. simply by learning how to turn things on and off when you're not using them. And if you're, if you have to have them on, when I go home at night, I put a cell phone on a counter. That's the farthest away from my house. I mean, living area. That's what I simply do. I just put it somewhere and I don't even think about it. If, a, if the phone rings, I got to run, but I never, I never keep it in the living room with me um, because it's a, a bee in the room that I don't need. So you really, really, you're the architect of that environment, as you know, um, you, you own that space. Um, federal government's not going to come in and tell you how to protect yourself under these circumstances. It's you who have to take the actions to do that. And they're very simple things to do. If you do the right stuff, making sure you clear that, environment for you, you're in no dangers whatsoever. If you choose not to, you increase the probabilities simply by having higher levels of exposure than necessary. Yeah, that's uh, really good advice. Thank you, Daniel. So I admit I'm not the best technology expert, even though I am a health expert. Uh, so I'd like to know what other things can we do? I know about maybe turning your devices to airplane mode or uh, maybe LCD versus LED screens. Can you talk a little bit on other things we could do? Um, when you, modern, LED, uh, modern 
uh, monitors today, modern monitors today are pretty safe, believe it or not. The LEDs are the, the more concern, um, but the products themselves don't generate emissions as much as they used to. So if you get a modern day, there's not much different between LED and LCD. So I wouldn't spend too much time differentiating that when you're designing and buying it. Um, I would tell you, put a distance. Uh, you want at least two foot away if you can. And simply by simple that distance is good. If you're going to be using monitors for a while, there's no doubt in my mind, you should think about blue shielding, blue blocking shields. Uh, you can have them as a film on your monitor. You can have glasses that have that. Or, um, or believe it or not, today with a modern cell phones, you can actually turn it where the blue LED is not transmitting. And so um, by simply changing features of the product you're using, uh, they now actually enable you to close those Bluetooth, uh, blue light signals off. Um, so um, by the way, blue, blue light, why it's a, a, of a concern is the intensity. We mentioned that. Um, but that's actually at the cusp of non-ionizing to ionizing. Uh, that's that's X-rays are ionized radiation. If it, it, it can cause cancer, right? Um, well, ultraviolet light is where it goes from non-ionized to ionized radiation to X-ray level stuff where it causes cancer. It's just below ultraviolet light. So where you get the, uh, the cancers, uh, skin's cancers, it's because of the, yeah. of the intensity of the signal. Mm -hmm. Well, blue is the one below it. And that's why you worry about it because of its intensity. Yeah, that makes sense. So what about regulating, let's say your Wi-Fi, uh, putting it on a schedule, like when to oh. turn on and off, are there devices for that? A $10 timer. I, I have a timer. I have a Wi-Fi. I have a so if you can, you want to wire your whole house. You you do not want Wi-Fi in it. Um, you want an Ethernet house, and that's what I've done with my home. Is I I have physical wiring. Anytime you can reduce that B by going to some alternative like a wire, that really is the safest pot, uh, bet. But if you have Wi-Fi and you've put it in a distant place where it's not really in your living room. Um, the dangers are less when you have it that way. But when you're at night and you don't need it, no one's using it, get a $10 timer. At 11 o'clock, turn your Wi-Fi off automatically. And at seven o'clock in the morning, turn it back on. And while you're sleeping in your sleep cycle, there's no interference from any Wi-Fi or for that matter, any RF signal in your room. Uh, so. That simple $10 item really does um, help to keep you safe. Now, if you're electric hypersensitive, um, and as you know, quite a few of us are, um, you, you, you don't want to use laptops. That's the oxymoron. You, know? you don't use laptops on your lap because it's too close to your body. Um, but uh, if you have a laptop, and particularly if you're hypersensitive, you can take that laptop and move it a couple of feet away, put it on an ethernet cable, 
and the transmitters are gone from it and the, the keyboard closeness to your hands is, is gone because now you have a remote uh, keyboard. And so there are ways of configuring the use of technologies to be more safe by putting some distance between you and the technologies and that keeps you more safe as a result of that. So you're saying the laptop can be connected to the internet with an ethernet cable and yeah. then you would use a remote keyboard that you can also plug in because there's also uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Rem- you, don't, you don't want to use them, right, exactly. You, you want the electrical wire. It's the safest for you. And believe it or not, if you're really, really electric hypersensitive, that can bother you. The, 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 the very, very low power levels from that, uh, that uh, keyboard can actually bother people. So, um, um, but it's safe. It's very safe for them. It's just they're overreacting to the environment because it's super sensitive. Uh, but you're right. You can have a laptop and you can wire that laptop just like you would do a desktop. And um, by wiring it, you're eliminating the Wi-Fi transmitter. By using a wired mouse, you've eliminated the Bluetooth being transmitted for the mouse function. And if you're using a keyboard that has a wire, you eliminated the Wi-Fi, uh, the, the Bluetooth connection for that as well. So yes, simply by moving stuff away from you and trying to wire up that which you can, um, it keeps you more safe, um, particularly when there's interactive stuff. Um, when you have um, uh, devices that use Wi-Fi coming into your room, uh, you can turn the Wi-Fi off and have Ethernet to your multimedia box that's inside watching the TV thing, your Apple TV or whatever devices you're using. They all will take uh, Ethernet connections and you can find a path for all those devices and not use the Wi-Fi, and you've reduced those emissions in that room. The number of bees in the room uh, is reduced, and that's what you'd want to try to do. If you do a diligent job of that, um, you, you're pretty safe. If you're using ba- baby monitors too, uh, I hate them, but, <laughs> but if you're going to use a baby monitor, don't put it next to the crib. Put it on the other side of the room. Simply by bringing it on the other side, you're, it's much more safe environment for the child. And, and, and uh, you can still have the child if there's a problem, but you don't saturate the child with emissions that uh, are excess. So simply trying to understand the environment you're in um, is a way of really dealing with the environment that we're in today and for many years to come. So you're saying devices like Apple TV or let's say Alexa, is there any inherent risk in using them if they're wired? Yeah, there's no disadvantage. In fact, there's an advantage of using like Apple TV. If you're not using the wireless part of it and using Ethernet, the performance, the the throughput is twice that of a Wi-Fi three times that it's much better. There's no buffering. There's nothing going on. So it's really a better signal for what you're doing. So in general, you should be doing that anyway, if you want an optimal way. But um, um, if you have a device 
that uses Bluetooth, I mean, Wi-Fi, it transmits. You don't want that in the room other than the Wi-Fi. I'm trying to think of things that do that, but there's a lot of devices coming out that are interactive. Yeah. Um, and you just, you, you want to avoid it. I, I had a yoga class um, uh, and the, the, uh, tra- the, the teacher came and showed me what she just got for Christmas. And she got this beautiful little band thing that told her that her heart rate was right. Her blood pressure is right. Everything was right. Right. I said, do you realize they're using Bluetooth to transmit that signal? (laughs) If that device is useful, but it's a transmitter that's transmitting on your body periodically, if not all day. Um, Do you really need to have that exposure? No, you really don't need that exposure. And is it good? for you? No, it's not necessarily. If you want to do it periodically, go ahead. But um, that's the kind of stuff that that you really sort of want to watch in your environment. Uh, Are you contaminating it further by bringing more in than less? Yeah. The only reason I allowed my husband to get an iWatch is because he told me he can turn the Bluetooth off. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what if he can do that, um, then that's great. That's that's what you want to do. Okay. So can you argue against putting your device on airplane mode? Should you? No, no. Actually, believe it or not, I I don't. And the reason why is you still have a GPS uh, pinging. You have other stuff going on in the background when you turn the air or, you know, the airplane off. So I just simply turn it off. Uh, um, It's much better than if it's on. It's not the best. Mm. If you want the best, just simply turn it off. Got it. So you both turn it off and put it into another room. I I actually, if your room is farther enough away, like in my house, when I come in, I put it where it's, you know, 50 feet away from me. So I don't worry about it at all. I don't turn mm. it off under those circumstances. Okay. So I can still hear it. And it's not endangering me in any way. But if I bring it into the room with me, I turn it off. Okay. I, I just don't like these transmitters around me. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so I'd like to ask you, why do you think there's not as much public awareness of this problem out there? You, you know, I was in the industry and I didn't know. It was really sort of interesting that even those who were in the middle of this space, we don't realize because we're engineers, we're not clinicians, we're not researchers. So there's a bit of a problem where there's not in a disciplinary communication between all the various parties. Um, The U.S. stopped funding research 10 years ago. So where we used to be predominant in the space of research, we're not at all. So everything done today in the US, and for that matter worldwide, is all private and universities. Um, um, You don't really find much of government-driven study work, except for the NTP I mentioned to you before, National Toxicity Program. They found danger, and it was the federal government that found the danger. And it was ignored by the FCC. 
that's characteristic of politics that's been around for centuries. Um, a good example is I smoked cigarettes when I was 12 years old, which was many, many, many years ago. At that time, you were a big man if you smoked cigarettes. Ironically, at that time, science knew there was direct link to smoking and lung cancer. They knew it over 50 years ago. And so um, the cycle of, of our environment and, and a change like cigarette smoking um, and our understanding it as a human takes years and years and years. And it also takes years and years and years to see stuff happen. And the, the increase in uh, cancer rates and things like that, we're only beginning to see because we've only had this technology around us for the last 10 years. Remember, you know, when I had a cell phone 30 years ago, which I didn't have, uh, I, I, would, I would call a friend, but my no friend of mine had a phone, I, so I'd never be on a phone, right? Um, but now your children use it all day. So the use of the technology has fundamentally changed and we're growing to learn more and more. Uh, and then there's the industry influence like smoking, um, there's a lot of money behind telecom and in the trillions of dollars per year. And they have very, very strong lobbying groups. Um, and that has maintained positions uh, publicly that are not necessarily the mass market view of what's going on. It's maybe skewed a bit towards the funding space. Interestingly enough, uh, and I know I'm sidetracking a little bit, but the FCC was just brought to court by um, Kennedy, uh, John Kennedy of uh, Child's uh, Defense League. And they actually pretty much, it appears from what I observed, that the uh, court is likely to, to go against the FCC because the standards were found to be uh, not reflective of current understanding of technologies. And so um, there's that debate that occurs, but it's always debated in the pharmaceutical space. And in, in, you, you name the technology space, you'll find that same kind of dilemma, but um, uh, it will change. Um, but in the meantime, taking precautionary measures in your environment is probably a smart thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, so one more thing I wanted to ask you is why did you feel this was such an important mission to go out and do your own research? And how did you start researching and learn about all of this to become an expert of sorts? Well, it turns out that, um, in Bell Labs, you know, my role in, was to learn. And um, I, I did years of development work and standards work. Um, so I was fairly knowledgeable and sort of familiar with how to understand stuff. And, um, and then it, it became a little bit personal uh, when, when my wife mentioned about, um, and, it became more compelling the more I learned that the research side wasn't talking to the medical side. The medical side wasn't talking to the 
public side. So there seemed to be a mismatch in understanding what we had. So I would look in the medical side, the research side, and there's a preponderance of evidence that is really well-founded evidence about the potential dangers to the human. And I didn't understand why that wasn't being sort of shared with the other disciplines in, in our society. So I became a bit more compelled about trying to solve it, particularly because um, with the work I was doing, I was more and more asked by women, believe it or not, um, I have these headaches, I have these burning sensations. And the traditional medical community was saying there's nothing wrong. So I almost had to become more knowledgeable about what the problems did. So I began, I have a scientific uh, advisory group of a medical community that work with me and the company work we do. Uh, I have experts, uh, biochemists, um, practicing physicians uh, that uh, sort of share that space with us so we can share it with others. And it became sort of an important role because of that disparity between what we know and what some of us know and others don't. Um, and that was what drove us. Um, it became more and more chronic about six, seven years ago. Um, and I didn't know why there was things going on in our environment with the, with the human and yet we weren't understanding it as a potential problem for the human. And it really is the source, as you pointed out, to so much of disruption in body function. And do you know you can be um, walking and your the brain pattern is a sleep pattern? Do you know that you can be sleeping and your brain pattern is a walking pattern? I bet you didn't know that. The electromagnetic radiation can have that kind of influence to the wow. body, disrupting the fundamental characteristics of a circadian rhythm. You're not in a cycle of repair that you need to be in the at night, and you're you're walking around it as a zombie during the day. That that is a, a recipe for failure for the body. And I felt compelled to try to get that point through. That there is an issue. It's controversial. It'll likely be continued to controversial ultimately will be lost in court. That's what happened with cigarette smoking. And I expect that's what's going to happen here. Um, the standards influences will continue. Lobbying groups will continue. It, it's sort of our responsibility, those who sort of pay attention to these details, to sort of share what they can and take actions to fix what they can. Yeah, one thing that just popped into my mind that I was curious about is the microwave. What is your uh, research or opinion on that? Because we have such a little time, I, I didn't talk about all these things. But a microwave, a microwave, a microwave oven uses two dot three watts, uh, two two dot three gigahertz. It's a, a, a hertz is one cycle in one second. It's a wave that okay. happens in one second. A gigahertz is one billion cycles in one second. Okay. So when I say a microwave is 2.4 gigahertz frequency rate. It's 2.3 uh, gigahertz. It's 2.3 billion cycles per second that is going into your meat in a microwave, heating up the water in the microwave and oscillating the cells, heating them up. And voila, your meat is cooked. 
that's what a microwave signal is. And microwaves, I don't use microwaves because when you do, you have the risk of overheating and they become carcinogenic as a result of overheating the cells, the, the molecules of, the, of whatever you're cooking. So um, that's why I don't use it because of the potential for going beyond where it should be and becomes a carcinogenic. That's ultimately the problem with microwaves is that um, they can be good, but they at one point can become very dangerous. Um, a cell phone is around one gigahertz, one gigahertz, one billion cycles per second. Okay. And you already know what happens in a microwave. You already know it heats up, right? Right. One gigahertz is a microwave signal. RF signal is a microwave signal. That's why your head heats up. Wow. It's a microwave signal. You're radiating yourself when you use a cell phone. Very low power levels, but that's what it is. Okay. So just to finish up, so you started researching on your own, right? All this stuff. Yeah. You looked up the clinical studies on PubMed, Google Scholar. Right, exactly. exactly. So how did you then uh, transition into what you do now into writing your book and into your company? Can you just talk a little bit about that? I, so um, I was very frustrated about the disparity of information that was in the various silos of, of our society. So that's why my son and I wrote the book. We, we, the, we, you decide if you have a problem or not. There's a substantial amount of evidence that you should consider. That's fact. And we were compelled to create that. I, I generally will not be arguing at an FCC trial. That's not my role. Um, there are others that do that kind of stuff and they do a wonderful job. Kennedy, as I mentioned, does a wonderful job of that. We actually know them and we actually deal with these people. Um, our role is uh, when my sons needed protection, I said, we're not, um, we're not victims. There are things we can do. Uh, we talked about the environment. One yeah. thing further I didn't talk about is the shielding. I created shielding for, for these technologies. And our role in life is to bring individuals the ability to choose if they want to be shielded or not, or safe or not around the technologies. And we provide technologies to help them be safe. That's, that's what we do. Um, and um, our, our company started with... Um, a, a laptop uh, protection device. And now we have hundreds of products that we have that protects the, uh, the individual. So it was really, we're not victims. That's as simple as that. I love that philosophy. And I completely understand why the laptop shield was first. Right. Uh, <laughs> to bring the story full circle. Okay, so we are definitely running out of time, but if you just have one final minute, I'd love to do a rapid fire round with you. All righty, go ahead. Okay, so what's the number one advice you can give people to uh, have the best quality of life available to them? You're the architect of your own destiny. Simple as that. You own it. You take care of it and it'll be done because you want it. Awesome. Don't, don't wait for anyone else. That's great advice. 
Uh, second question, what's your favorite hobby? Um, it used to be fishing. When I was when I was stressed out, I used to build furniture for years and years. I used to go get trees, cut them down, have them milled the way I wanted them, dry the wood out, and build furniture from it. So I've I've been pretty extreme. So I've had many hobbies, um, wow. and today's hobby is to sleep and watch TV. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> okay. Um, what's your favorite beverage and your favorite food? Believe it or not, it's it, it's water. I, I love clean, clean water. I don't drink anything other than water. Um, I don't like to contaminate uh, my body with other uh, uh, toxins of, of any sort. So I, I typically water. Um, and what I like, um, and this is the bad part, I love pasta. <laughs> <laughs> I love ziti. I love to make ziti. <laughs> you got to hedge your bets. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> All right. Finding a balance is also key. So I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your story with us and your passion uh, that came through very clearly. And I'd love for you to just let people know how they can get in touch with you, find out more about your work and your company and your book. Um, the company that we have is DefendersShield.com. Um, on DefendersShield.com, we have a whole learning section where if you'd like to research and find out where there's links to electromagnetic radiation and illnesses, we keep a portfolio of that. If you wanna learn about 5G, we hadn't talked about that today, but if you wanted to learn a bit about 5G, we have a, a significant subject matter that you can read and learn more about the subject. Um, we have our book, Radiation Nation, uh, that my son and I wrote uh, that's available uh, um, on DefendersShield.com. And then, of course, we have a variety of products um, that are protecting the individual in a variety of different ways that individuals use technology today. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. It was really a pleasure uh, to meet you and to talk about this. If there's a follow-up, we'll definitely cover 5G in that. Yeah, we got to do 5G because that's interesting, controversial space, and we can help understand that space. Well, thanks so much for inviting me, uh, Marina. I really do uh, appreciate it, and I enjoyed our time together. Likewise. Same here. Take care of yourself and have a great day ahead. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new from it. I certainly get super inspired by the guests I have on. If the same is true for you, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on any of the podcast platforms and a shout out on social media. You can find me at my name, Dr. Marina Booksov, or at the tag at Raw Fork. So I look forward to connecting and I hope you have a great week ahead.